It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And welcome into this week's edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Schusterman, joined as always by MLB Pipeline's Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. But we are also joined this week by another very special guest. It is, of course, draft season, which means we are talking to some of the top draft prospects in the country. And today we are joined by none other than Cal first baseman Andrew Vaughn. Andrew, thank you for joining us. No, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, so, Andrew, the draft is, is just a few weeks away. Obviously, this is something that is, is, is probably at least a little bit on your mind. Um, you've had already an excellent career uh, at Cal, of course, winning the Golden Spikes Award last year. But I'm curious, has this season with Cal felt any different for you because it's the draft year? Or have you just been kind of uh, playing it as if it's any other season? Um, I really went into it like it's any other season. I mean, if I tried to think about anything other than getting to playoffs and winning with my team, then think I wouldn't be myself. Uh, Andrew, you know, last year you did pretty much everything a hitter could do in, you know, in, in a college season, and that's why you got the Golden Spikes Award. You know, it set the bar too high. How did you try to do anything this season to just to make sure that you didn't um, try, you know, try too hard to to duplicate it or surpass it? You know, how, how did you keep a sort of an even-keeled mentality to to make sure that, you know, you understood that last year was was kind of ridiculous? Um, just going into it this year, I mean, the biggest thing for me was just stay within myself and hit my pitches when I'm giving them um, and just let the guys around me in the lineup work, which they've done an extremely good job. I mean, Quentin Selma hitting in front of me, Cam Eden leading off for us, and Corey Lee's just come out and going to sing. So that's been really huge for me and our ball club as a whole, but just knowing that, I stay within myself, get my pitches, take my walks, it it can really help out. Uh, Andrew, I'm wondering, uh, after last year, you know, Jonathan kind of asks what wonders, right? Like, how do you stay even keel after winning the Golden Spikes? I'm curious from a how do I get better at baseball perspective, you really did everything you possibly could. Was there one thing part of your game going into this year that you actually wanted to improve at? Um, I think the biggest thing for me coming into the fall was getting a little leaner. Um, putting a little better weight on myself, getting with our strength coach, um, and just really getting after it in the weight room. I think that really helped me and also helped me stay more stable through the whole season, um, just having a better body and uh, just being able to go out there every day and put it all on the line. Obviously, you had a, a big freshman year, so it's not like you snuck up on anybody last year when you had your huge season. Are you finding that people are pitching you differently this year? I know you – I mean, you walked a lot last year too, but you're, you're walking even more this year. Are, are teams – challenging you less than they did a year ago um definitely i would say so just a little bit less challenging um getting pitched around i mean the whole new thing with the the ball four just take your base i think they're taking advantage of that um which isn't a big deal for me because every time i walk i look at the guy next to me coming up Corey, and i just say it's your time buddy let's go um but other than that really some teams have challenged some teams have pitched differently um i know ucla was big on challenging me 
I think that's a little me and John Savage connection from that USA team, which was awesome to see. Uh, and just going up there thinking that if I get walked, I get on base is a huge thing for me. And the Corey you're referring to, of course, is, is catcher Corey Lee, who is having a, a really good season. So uh, give him a, we'll give him a, a shout out. And he's sort of helped himself also in terms of draft profile. Andrew, I wanted to ask you, you know, you were a guy who was not, you know, heavily, you know, terribly herald, heavily recruited out of high school. Um, I think because you're not the, uh, you know, you're not the, the prototypical guy at first base, right-handed, throwing right-handed, hitting, you know, you're not 6'3", whatever, whatever all those things. Are those some things that you used sort of a, as motivation to kind of prove the people who, I don't want to say they doubted you, but maybe overlooked you a little bit earlier on in your amateur career? Yeah, 100%. I'd say the biggest thing, there was a big chip on my shoulder was the area code teams. I didn't make either of them when I tried out. Um, and that just really told myself that, Hey, I need to get better. I need to work a little harder, get good at my craft. And then getting here to Cal, getting a little bit stronger. I did play up the middle in high school, played short, played second. Um, so then moving to the corner, putting a little more weight on, um, I think just really focusing on hitting helped me. And also those chips really pushed me forward and wanted to uh, make me a little bit better. Andrew, I know you said you're obviously focused on how the team's doing and you've got one more week of regular season play because the Pac-12 doesn't have a conference tournament and you guys are, I think, a lock for regionals at this point. You'll find out where you're going, you know, in another week or so. But at the same time, how often does the draft intrude on your thinking? I mean, you know you're going somewhere at the top of the draft. Do you you find yourself paying attention to that at all? I mean, this time of year – we're doing mock drafts. Baseball America's doing mock drafts. ESPN fan, you know, everybody's doing a mock draft. Do you ever peek at those to see where you're going? Hey, how's all that stuff been for you this spring? Um, I really try to push it away. Honestly, just really want to focus on the season, like you said. Um, but I'll see it on Twitter every once in a while. It'll pop up. Um, I give it a look. I like to see where all my buddies are going because playing with that Team USA over the summer was unbelievable experience. Just getting to see guys on there like Rutch, Stott, Jung. And it's just unbelievable. So I like to check that out. And we, we talk about it. We'll text each other every once in a while. Um, but shoot, not really too much. I just try to kind of push it away and focus on the game. You mentioned Adley Rushman, who who obviously is having a, a ridiculous season this year. Uh, you mentioned sort of keeping tabs on how he's doing it. Is that motivation for you at all? Not in terms of where you go in the draft, but knowing that you guys are, are generally considered the, the top two college bats uh, in, in, in the class just to, you know, you see him, you know, hit a couple out or get three hits or whatever it is he's been doing pretty much weekend and weekend out that uh, you want to, you want to try to keep pace. Oh, I definitely think it's a little friendly banter. I mean, shoot at the beginning of the year, I think he hit a couple home runs in the weekend. I texted him. I said, Hey, slow down. Let me catch up <laughs> just messing around with him, but that's pretty cool. And it's unbelievable to see what he's doing this year. I mean, shoot, he's got to be hitting somewhere over 400 got double digit homers so it's really good to see out of him after having such a good summer with him becoming good friends I mean all of us became really good friends from that team so it's really cool to see all the success other guys are having in this league. Uh, Andrew you mentioned playing with Team USA and and of course a little friendly rivalry with Rutschman there Uh, who do you who would you say is the best pitcher that you face either during the summer or you know during your collegiate season of course in the Pac-12 or against any other competition? Um, do I gotta stick to American Conference? Because, oh no, uh, you don't. No, you don't. We had we had a Japanese pitcher pitch against us. Um, I want to say it was 
It might have been the 4th of July, actually, and he struck out 17 of us in seven innings. Okay. Well, we'll have to go back and find that box score and find who that pitcher was. Uh, because Yeah, he was unbelievable. And then they ran out a closer that was up to 100 with like a 92-mile-hour splitter. Wow. So, so that that sounds like that. That was the, the best stuff you've ever faced live, you'd say? Um, yeah, 100%. Or uh, Manoa. He was definitely a tough at bat. He was my first at bat of the Cape this summer. Okay, there's another another name that that a lot of uh, uh, people following the draft will obviously be hearing at some point this uh, in a few weeks. Yeah, he was lights out. Andrew, you pitched a little bit as a as a freshman. I think you made one appearance last year. Uh, give us a scouting report on you as a pitcher, and do you miss it at all? Because I, I have a feeling you're probably not going to be doing any more pitching from here on out. <laughs> Shoot, if I had to scout myself as a hitter, I'd say flat fastball. Maybe 88, got kind of a bad curveball and a changeup, but I'll throw strikes. So you're saying you're saying if you faced yourself on the mound, you would probably do some damage at the plate. I'd like to think that I would. Um, I mean, pitching days are long gone. I I love to do it in high school. I did it every every week, but I'd much rather be a hitter. All right. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for uh, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck uh, for the rest of your season, and we look forward to uh, hearing your name called in the draft. We really appreciate the time. Thank you. I really appreciate you guys having me. And thank you to Andrew Vaughn for joining the show. Looking forward to seeing how his season concludes. Uh, now, since we already talked to Vaughn, we got to continue on with some more draft talk, as the draft is so 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 soon. Uh, very much looking forward to it finally arriving. Uh, now, we have some, a very interesting piece of draft news uh, that dropped this week, which involves uh, one of the first-round picks from last year, uh, Carter Stewart. Uh, the sources are, are reporting that he will actually be going to play in Japan this year. So, Jim, uh, this is an interesting situation. There's some precedent here, also some, some details that we may not have yet. But how does this affect, I guess, first of all, his draft stock, and what do you know about this decision? Well, it's interesting because we, we had a tip that this could be in the works and we tried and, and couldn't confirm it. So we couldn't couldn't run with it, um, which is fine. And it was funny because when I first heard of it, the guy told me, I said, you know, you know, Carter Stewart's represented by Scott Boris. And I said, you know, Scott Boris floated this as a possibility when he had Brian Taylor as the number one overall pick in 1991. And he wanted a record setting a bonus or contract for him. And he floated as a possibility for Steven Strasburg when he wanted to, you know, he was floating the same possibility for Strasburg and never really got that far. I mean, it's certainly not to the, where you had reports that it, it was more of a concept that the player could do this. And then, you know, I, I think in Scott's mind, theoretically, the player might've been a free agent when he came back. Um, and so, you know, if, what we know now is that Carter Stewart is reportedly close to a deal with the Japanese team. Um, if he signed that deal, it would render him ineligible for the draft this year because he'd be under contract. And it would be interesting to see what would happen going forward because I think like MLB's position, when the Strasburg stuff was being bandied about, you know, Rob Manfred was in charge of, I think, the Labor Relations Committee, you know, before he became commissioner. And at the time, he said something to the effect that, you know, when he came back, you know, he would be subject to the draft. And I think that if you talked, you know, Manfred hasn't commented on it this year, but I think MLB's position, I think MLB's position, Jordan, would be to try to avoid a scenario where players could become 
for want of a better term, draft free agents by going and playing overseas for a year or whatever period of time. Um, I would think that Carter Stewart's camp would perhaps try to argue that he's no longer an amateur. He's a professional player. And, you know, I don't know if that would, you know, he's not a Japanese citizen, so I don't know that he would necessarily be subject to the posting agreement, but I would think they would be angling for some sort of free agency. So we would probably have some kind of grievance or legal proceeding um, but that's all, you know, down the road. We'll, we'll see what happens with Carter Stewart. I, I have to admit, I'm, I, I'm, I've been kind of flummoxed all day about this. Um, I don't, I don't get it. Uh, and listen, we're, there's a lot that we don't know. Uh, we're going to find out more details. Um, you know, it, the bonus, the amount that he is reported, you know, that he's going to sign for, uh, it would, would put him in the you know top half of the first round. So there's that. There's the the payday. Um, it, I, he was not likely to go that high this year. He's been inconsistent, although better down the stretch. There were still questions about uh, his medical report based on on last year. I'm not being able to come to terms with the Braves, and I, I just you know. This is rolling the dice, I think, in a lot of ways. We'll have to see how it plays out. You know, Jim mentioned all these different variables where we were trying to sift through and, and sort out and figure out what the rules say. And as far as anyone could tell, no one's seen this before, uh, that it actually happened. Um, you know, we've seen guys go play for independent league teams out of, you know, out of college. We've not seen someone go play in a foreign league who was considered a, a high draft pick. And, and, you know, what what happens if he goes and is terrible and then he doesn't have a chance to pitch over here? What happens if he goes and it's determined that he has to wait years to be posted by his Japanese team like uh, uh, a like, no one like we'll have to wait and see on all these things. So I, I, to me, it's a huge risk to take um, for for any player uh, to to make the decision to to do that. So I'm 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 befuddled. And I was going to say, Jonathan, real quick, I I can't imagine that he would be posted because none of the Americans right. who have gone over to Japan have been posted. So the question I think would be: Is he subject to the draft? because he's an American who never signed a professional contract with an American team, which I think would be MLB's contention, or would Stewart's contention be, hey, I've already played professionally, and like the other Americans who've come back, right. I free, should be free to sign with any team. And you're right. I mean, for all, the only detail, like I don't know if this is a one-year deal. We don't know how much money it is. We don't know if it's multi-years. The only contract detail I know is I had heard when I heard the initial, when somebody told me, hey, we're hearing that this might happen and we're hearing, you know, they'd sign him for around $4 million. I was told it will be more than $4 million. So that's very vague, but he's, he was not, you know, like, like you broke down, Jonathan, like I could he have gone in the first round. Yes. I think if he'd gone in the first round, it would have been back at the end of the first round. Uh, we had him ranked in our 100 and actually set to rank in the same spot on our 200, which is not quite finalized at 59. He was such a wild card. You know, you could argue to rank him 20 spots higher based on 
what he flashed at times. You could probably argue to rank him lower based on the fact that nobody really knows the medical with the wrist that scuttled his deal last year with the Braves. But he is going to get – I feel fairly confident saying if he is getting more than $4 million, which is what I was told, he will get more money in this deal. We don't know how many years it is, but he will get more money than he would have gotten out of the draft because I don't see any way he was going to go high enough right. or, or get paid $4 million. And listen, listen, this, this could be you know, a gamble that pays off. Let, let's say it's a one-year deal, even a two-year deal, whatever. He goes out and he pitches really well in Japan uh, or pitches decently and shows he's healthy and, and the stuff is good. Then he comes back, even if he has to re-enter the draft, he's still young. Um, let's, you know, especially after one year, I mean, it would be the equivalent of after his sophomore year of college. Uh, so he'd still be young for the draft. You know, th- then he could pick up two sort of first round caliber paydays. Now, the question, of course, there is, well, will a team, will, will a major league team be willing to, to do that? One, still with question marks about the medical. Maybe they'd be answered if he pitches a full season in Japan. But two, just because he kind of bucked the system. And, you know, I don't know how teams will will react to that. I mean, in general, if a player is good enough, I think they're going to take him. He didn't commit fraud or anything like that. You know, there's nothing egregious here. But I do wonder if there are going to be some teams that are like, I don't really like how he kind of tried to do an end around here. Yeah, I could see that, but I think you hit the the nail on the head there, Jonathan. I mean, there might be teams that say that, but I think we've both seen, and really in all professional sports, if a guy's talented enough, teams will give him the opportunity. So he may run people the wrong way, but Carter Stewart's throwing the mid-90s and he's got that super crazy high spin rate curveball. Even if that annoys you, if you have the chance to sign him, I think you will. But it'll it'll be fascinating because, as you said, <laughs> this story is just beginning. He hasn't officially signed anything yet. Um, we don't really know the details. But, you know, the, the reentry question is going to be very interesting because, and again, I, I'm just spitballing here. We don't know what's going to happen. But, but let's assume that MLB says, no, no, you're subject to the draft. And Carter Stewart and his camp say, no, I should be a free agent because I'm returning from Japan where I was a professional player and I'm American. You know, and there's some kind of grievance or lawsuit or whatever. If he were to win that, you know, you would then see because the, the free if the draft players, the bonuses are so restricted by being limited to negotiate with one team. The, the one time you had like high profile draft free agents back in 1996, you know, the number one pick in the draft was Chris Benson. He got two million. The number two pick was Travis Lee, who became a free agent. He got ten million. So if Carter Stewart became a free agent, he would just rake in a ton of money. And then I think you would see a lot of other players try to follow his path. So it, it could be very, very interesting to see what happens to the draft if he were to win a grievance or lawsuit or whatever. All right. So we will find out what happens with Carter Stewart. It is definitely an unusual situation, but let's move on to some guys who are not going to Japan anytime soon. And as far as we know, they will be picked very high in this year's uh, draft in a few weeks. Uh, now you guys are working on your updated top 200, expanding the top 100 draft prospects list to 200, and that will be coming out uh, very, very soon. And uh, I just want to jump around to some names uh, on this upcoming list since I am fortunate enough to have a peek behind the curtain. And I want to start out with one guy, a uh, shortstop at Florida, Brady McConnell, who it looks, if, unless, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he is the, the highest new name uh, on the top 200. And uh Jonathan, tell me about this guy and how is he making such a jump uh, this late in the draft process? 
you know, he's hit. I mean, he's hit and he's hit some more. And uh, when you perform uh, in college and when you perform at a program like Florida in their conference, you're going to start moving up. And he was like on the, yeah, I, I, I'm going to just give away. He, he's cracking the top 100. And I don't think that's giving away anything major. He was on the bubble um, before, got some yes, some no. And he's just continued to hit. And uh, I, I, it's funny, even in conference, he, he's hit 299, but he's hit 11 homers. You know, the power has shown up regularly. Um, he's hitting 341 overall with 15 homers on, on the year. He's driven in runs. He'll steal some bases. He's athletic. The one thing is most people don't think he's going to stay a shortstop, but he's athletic enough where they think you could send him out to, uh, to center field and he'd be fine there. He doesn't walk a ton. He, there's some swing and miss. I mean, there were some question marks. This was more explaining why he didn't crack the top 100 first, but he just kept going out, putting up numbers. And, you know, on a, on a Florida team, that's been very disappointing. Uh, He's been the the sort of shining star. And, uh, you know, I know Jim heard his name a little bit sort of being mentioned as a possibility uh, back into the first round. Someone brought up his name when I did the mock the week before last. Not necessarily, oh, he's going to be a first rounder, but his name is starting to float into that sort of end of first round, maybe comp round, maybe definitely second round consideration. And, you know, so we reacted accordingly and he's an interesting guy. He was he was a solid prospect coming into his senior year two years ago. He's a draft-eligible sophomore and, and then had a bad summer. Uh, like his summer showcase was just – he was really not good and was uneven in his senior year, kind of played like he wanted to go to Florida. And I think, you know, especially once he struggled, he knew he wasn't going to go high enough. But this is the guy that I think people were hoping to see when he was coming out of high school, and now they're seeing it. Now you mentioned, you know, when you when you're performing for a big program like Florida, a lot of a lot of eyes on you. Of course, they've had dozens of draft picks over the years. Uh, Jim, I want to move on to it to a, another new name on, on this list who maybe is not necessarily being seen by everybody as a high school catcher in Alabama. Can you tell me about Mr. Ethan Hearn? Yeah, you know, one of the things I've I've struggled with a little bit is how to line up the high school catchers in my half of the country. And, you know, Brady McConnell uh, is the making the biggest jump from off the top 100 into the top 100. And the second biggest jump is being made by Ethan Hearn. You know, it's, it's, it's tough because I have some guys who think like he, there's some teams who think he's the best high school hitter in the draft, a high school catcher in the draft is what I'm trying to say. And there are others who prefer a kid named Nate LaRue and think he's a better, he's that, that Ethan Hearn might be the second best high school catcher in the state. So I've gone back and forth putting these guys in different orders, but here's a trivia question for you. You, you could both play at home. Uh, if you, how many Alabama high school catchers have been taken in the first three rounds of the draft going back to 1965? <laughs> Oh, well, I was just because that's where Ethan Hart's I was, probably okay, going to go. Okay, I'm going to guess two. Jonathan, do you want more? $1. What's that? $1. <laughs> it's like I was playing prices right. I got you. I said $1. I'll say one. It is two. And now the second wow. part of question when is the last time it happened? Jonathan, you can go first here. Last time when it happened. happened. I don't see this is Jim has much better 
um, institutional mm. memory. I do not remember this. Like, so, uh, and so it's the top what rounds? I'm top sorry. three rounds. Alabama high school catchers, top three rounds. When's the last time it happened? I'm going to say that the last time it happened was, shoot, um, 2008. I'm going to say 1986. If you flip the last two digits, 1968, Lamar Johnson, okay. who I don't think ever caught in the big leagues. Right. Lamar J- Johnson. Anyway, back to Ethan Hearn. I love so that little stat there. But he's, it's been 50 years. 50 okay. years since that's happened. And he probably and he could even go in the second round because it's, it's a bad draft for catchers and they get pushed up anyway. But he's your kind of classic high school catching prospect where he's got raw power. He's got pure arm strength. You know, he's got to, you know, polish the hitting ability a little bit. You know, he can get aggressive at the plate. Um, you know, he's got to clean himself up as a receiver a little bit, but he, he's, he's gotten better behind the plate. So, I mean, you're looking at a potential, you know, average to solid defender who might be a 20 home run guy, uh, you know, from the left side of the plate. And I blame myself. He probably should have been in the top 100. I just keep going back and forth on how to line up all these high school catchers I have in my half of the country. And I, I think he's a safe third-round pick with some upward mobility to the second round if uh, teams are looking for catchers. Because, you know, we, we mentioned Adley Rutschman. We're talking to Andrew Vaughn. He's going to probably go with the number one pick. Shea Langleyers is going to go in the top 10 or 15 picks. And then there's not going to be a catcher gets drafted for a long time. You know, the scary thing is, is that uh, Jim nailed that 1968 pick in his mock that year. He, he was on uh, it. I was one. He was on it. <laughs> and then you know what? No, I wasn't even one. I, I don't even think I was speaking because if it was June – I would have been eight months old. Yeah, I would have been eight you, months old. It's always been a telepathic, it's always been a telepathic yeah, thing Jim, for you, you anyway. You didn't have to so. speak. You were just you were drawing it. You said, look, I got Johnson going three. <laughs> third round. Third, third, third round, round sorry. Great. So you, you had the full first three rounds done as an eight month old. When I was younger, I had a lot more energy. I could do like a full three round mock. There were fewer teams in MLB, so it was a little bit easier back then. Yes, yes, when you were younger. Um, also, I will also mention, I know you're really going super specific with Alabama high school catchers. High school catchers, period, not the best track record in recent years for, for top picks um, as far as producing high, high, you know, successful big leaguers. So it's already a pretty risky demographic, so I can understand uh, struggling knowing how to rank them. All right, Jonathan, we're going to go back to you. Uh, we're going to talk about a pitcher. Now, we've, of course, spent so much time talking about college pitching um, leading up to this year's draft because it's not very good. But one guy has really come on strong lately, but he also comes with some interesting baggage. Tell me about Navy right-hander Noah Song. Oh, man. <laughs> He's fascinating. Um, this is a guy that if you were um, you know, if you were just doing it based on pure stuff, He's a, a second rounder, at least, um, if not higher than that, especially given the dearth of college pitching. He has had, uh, you know, in his senior year at, at the Naval Academy, an incredible year. I mean, a good enough year to warrant consideration for at least a, uh, maybe like a second or third place vote for Golden Spikes Award, in my, in my estimation. And, you know, he's got starter stuff. He maintains his velocity deep into starts. Uh, he's got a pretty good delivery. Um, 
Jim Callis acting as researcher as we're as we're talking. He leads Division One in strikeouts, 161 and 94 innings. It's it's video game numbers. He has been lights out. But here is where it gets complicated because he's in the Naval Academy and he has a two-year military requirement. Uh, people may remember Griffin Jacks from the Air Force uh, a couple of years ago. He was able to get out of his Air Force requirement after kind of going, they gave him some leeway. He went and pitched in the summer a little bit, then went back to the Air Force, and then they they kind of basically made him like an athletic ambassador, and they and they withdrew the rest of his military requirement, thinking, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, it would be better to have him pitching professional baseball. And that rule has been rescinded um, since then. So as of right now, anyone drafting Noah Song will have to wait a full two years before you even get him into their system. Uh, so, like, I don't know what you do with a guy like that. There have been two pitchers from the Naval Academy to make it to the big leagues, Mitch Harris and Oliver Drake, and both of them took seven years from the time they were drafted to make it up. So it is, uh, it's a really complicated thing. You, you could draft them. There's been some talk of sort of reinstituting the ability for, for athletes to uh, kind of serve their military uh, requirement as uh, public figures in, in professional sports, but that hasn't happened yet. So rolling large dice here uh, to, to decide to, to draft him early. Yeah, I mean that's and that's there's so many different things you're you're calculating there. But on raw talent, he really is has emerged as as one of the, the best arms, it seems like. Um, but it's just gonna be a matter of, of if a team is willing to take that risk. All right, Jim, we're going back to you. We're just gonna do a couple more here. Uh, and I want to ask you another guy who's making a nice little leap onto this list, uh, an outfielder by the name of Jake Sanford. He's been putting up some pretty crazy numbers. For Western Kentucky, who I'm sure everybody is following very closely this collegiate season. So tell me about Mr. Stanford. You know what conference Western Kentucky is in now? Because I did not. I had to look it up. Oh, no. They, do they change? Are they, are they in a well, different what, do you, what conference do you think they're in? Are they in the American? The con- no. con- I don't know. What? Conference USA. I, I, I had no USA. idea. See, but, but although, <laughs> although it, it, in fairness... <laughs> Conference USA is just another word for the American Conference. All the conferences have the same names. I'm not going to go on this rant, but there's really no difference between the names of all the collegiate conferences. <laughs> so Jake Sanford, one of the best backstories <laughs> in the entire drafts. So you'll like this. Oh, okay. All right. Let's hear it. He's from Nova Scotia, which is not exactly a baseball hotbed. No pro teams, no college teams showed any interest in him at all. His only college offer was to play volleyball at, da- I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, Dalhousie University, which is in Nova Scotia. That was his only college offer. So he walked on at McCook, Nebraska Community College, which is on the far west side of Nebraska. It's a wood bat league. He was there for two years. He had 23 homers in two seasons. He broke the, the team slugging record twice in two years, and still nobody knew anything about him because you just don't see McCook. Um, all the years I've covered the draft, I don't think I've ever had a prospect from a community college and nobody brought this guy up to me the last two years. Not that I was pounding the, uh, you know, Hey, who do you got at Nebraska junior colleges for me? So he transfers to Western Kentucky this year. He 
won the Conference USA regular season triple crown. First time that's ever happened, regular season triple crown. Hit 402, 488, 828 with 22 homers and 65 RBI. And his power is 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 almost off the charts. His raw power is crazy. He's got like a very fast bat. He's very strong, left-handed batter. And I, I've talked to scouts who said basically it's like he's just playing in batting practice. Like he'll just kind of go from right to left or left to right and hit home runs and he'll lift it over the batting eye and he'll just move the ball around and, and crush the ball all over the place. Great hand eye coordination. And Oh, by the way, he can even flash well above average running times at the time. He's not a big base stealer, but he can show you 65 running times uh, coming out of the box. Uh, so he's, I mean, it's, I'd never heard of Jake Sanford. I don't think a lot of people had heard of Jake Sanford coming into the year. And he's got one of the best power speed combinations in the draft. You know, I, I he, he's he scares guys a little bit. Scouts don't like guys who don't have history or track record. And like nobody had seen this guy before this year. Um, you know, Conference USA has some good teams, but it's not like you have like a lot of, you know, experience watching this guy in the Cape League against, you know, the highest quality pitching. So like I think for some teams that scares them off a little bit, but I, I think he's performed well enough and the tools are real that he probably goes in the fourth round to somebody. Yeah, and he was literally named today the Conference USA Player of the Year. So, uh, of course. Well, who else could you go with? I mean, you win <laughs> the Triple I mean, Crown, you have to go with him. I, so. have, I have no idea. Um, well, that's actually a good uh, transition to the last guy I'm going to ask Jonathan about uh, because you mentioned Mr. Sanford um, is, is, is Canadian uh, before he you know traversed to uh, – <laughs> to Nebraska no, and then to Western Kentucky. Quite a journey for Sanford. I don't know if this next guy has has such a, a crazy journey, but I do want to ask about the top Canadian-ranked player on uh, the top 200, from what I can tell. Um, Mr. Mayo, can you tell me about Desan Brown? Is that how I'm, I'm pronouncing it? Yeah, yeah that, is, that is correct. All right. Outfielder um, Desan Brown, a high schooler in Canada. So, so tell me about Brown. Yeah. Um here, so I, I feel like I need to come up with some draft trivia because mm. we did, and and I can't let him be the only one. So over the last how many drafts in a row have there been a high school hitter from Ontario taken in the top two rounds? You you can go first, Jordan. I'll let you go first. Okay, this is interesting. Top two rounds. I know Gareth Morgan was one at some point, and that was a few years. I'm going to say five years. Jim? That sounds about right to me because you got the Naylor brothers, um, of course. Um, well, it's no fun to pick the same number, so I will, I will say I will go higher. I will go six since I can't pick five, but I, I, I like five. That sounds like a good guess. Well, five is correct. So it was a good guess. Fine oh, work. Hell yes. Jordan, okay. Actually, Jordan's kind of been on the money. Um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been, you know, a lot of guys over the, the last year. You mentioned the Naylor brothers and you mentioned Gareth Morgan. Uh, so uh, Andy Yerzy. Oh, great one. Great one with the D-backs, um, of course. Yeah. So uh, Adam Hall uh, from the Orioles. Yes. So there you go. Uh, and, I don't know that Desan Brown's going to go in the top two rounds, although he is the kind of player that teams that like super tools, the athletic guys might go and take a little bit higher than 
some other wood. Like based on straight up like now talent, you know, no. There are some questions about him impacting the ball and hitting. Um, those who like him like to point out that a lot of the evaluations are when the Canadian high schoolers were playing against professionals. And that's not really necessarily a fair, especially for a raw toolsy guy, uh, a great way to evaluate his contact skills. But he can really, really run. He can really defend in center field. He's going to add strength. He's got the build for it. So it, it may take him a little while, but uh, there are those kinds of super athletic tools that there are uh, certain teams, you know, or teams with multiple picks that uh, I think could be really interested on in him. Well, there you go. All right. Well, two very different but exciting Canadian outfielders. Stay, keep an eye out for Desan Brown and Jake Sanford come draft day. All right, Jim and Jonathan, thank you guys so much for giving us a little sneak preview of the top 200, which you will certainly be seeing on MLB Pipeline very soon. Uh, for Jim and Jonathan, I am your host, Jordan Schusterman. This has been a pleasure, and we will talk to you guys on the MLB Pipeline podcast next week.